Hello and welcome to Storytime with Bemsey, where we read stories together and talk about them. Or rather, where I read stories to you and tell you what I think about them. In today's episode, we will be doing something different. Instead of reading a short story, we will have a more general conversation about reading and the insights we can gain from various short stories. In order to do this, I am joined by a guest by the name of Mika Edwin. He is a mechanical engineer by profession, but he also does a lot of fascinating work connecting African youth to educational opportunities around the world. Today we will talk about his reading habits, his favorite writers, and one of his favorite short stories on this season of the podcast. Without further ado, here is our conversation. Hello, Edwin, and welcome to Storytime with Pemsey. Just before we go ahead, would you mind just introducing yourself and you know, telling the audience who they're listening to? Thanks, Pemsey. I'm Mika, and I was born and raised in Cameroon. I grew up uh, developing a passion for reading uh, growing up with my dad. Uh, my dad was really one of those who used to buy newspapers daily. So I still remember, um, you know, the publishers, the Post, the Guardian Post, um, I think uh, the Aiden newspaper and a couple of others. So I, I developed this habit of reading with him so much that even when I left home for university, I would easily return home to about 90 papers uh, having stacked up in my wow. room for maybe three months I was away. And I would have to go through it the first week I'm on holidays and, uh, you know, kind of a brief with him on certain aspects, maybe the politics, the football and, and, and stuff. So I would say I have more like an unusual kind of reading habit because why a lot of people go for books, I make sure every single day I read a number of online articles from, uh, you know, certain reputable online media. So yeah, that's it. But recently I've picked up reading books um, just a couple of months back and I think I'll just let's see how that goes. Interesting. Interesting. So the way you make it sound is it's like when you were growing up, you read love, mostly newspapers and current events and that kind of thing. Is, is that is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So a lot of newspapers, um, I really don't know. Maybe I just copied because I, I really wouldn't tell you there was really no drive. There was no motivation at that age. Uh, growing up as a teenager, I really just was taking after my dad who until uh, today, he, he still buys papers almost every day, maybe not as frequently as before. Yeah, so that's what I spend most of my time doing, reading a lot of newspapers, uh, most of which I didn't understand because the, the language was a little bit too superior for a young teenager. But I think it was quite helpful building a certain number of skills and abilities in me much more passively. Oh, okay. And uh, I mean, you mentioned a bit of that now, but what are your reading habits like now as an adult? Do you still read like uh, your reading still very focused on current events or have you broadened your scope? In terms of habits, it's kind of a little bit difficult for me to quantify mm-hmm. um, because, yeah, it's kind of difficult for me to quantify how much, uh, you know, I read. But what I can tell you for sure is there is rarely a day that goes by without me, uh, say, reading a few equivalents of a few pages under my belt. So that's something I'm, I'm definitely sure of. And um, I think you, you talked about um, what my preferences. So in terms of the genre, I think I'm, I'm a little bit more traditional here. <laughs> right. 
more traditional in the sense that I'm not really a non-fiction kind of guy. All right. So I'm more palpable kind of person by nature and um, maybe that's why I naturally align or incline with uh, fiction, uh, non-fiction rather as opposed to fiction. So Interesting. And uh, do you have any favorite books? I'm going to surprise you a little because what my... Um, maybe a favorite book would be is strangely, strangely a fictional book. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, yeah I just yeah. said a while that I'm more of a non-fictional reader, but mm-hmm. it turns out that what really caught my attention was a fictional book. So I think it's, um, the title is uh, Dark Secret Night by Michael Connolly, All right. who used to report for the Los Angeles, I think he was a uh, police reporter so he reported on crime related issues if i can say that right. uh, and it's really a story of um, you know a detective a lady detective mm-hmm. very powerful person who works on the night shift the night shift uh, you, uh, here refers to you know those who were in genocide related things so working the unusual hours so you're left to what no other person does or those who are on a progressing career so he he meets a, a former or a retired detective um, and they really didn't get things they started on a, a pretty bad foot and then they later on you know combined forces to bring about justice for uh, a young teenager who was murdered so i think what stands out to me here in addition to the justice when I was reading this book was more about the stylistic aspects of it. All right. So the author here really uses a lot of repetition, plain English, a lot of similes and, and, and really helps me because again, as I said, I, I like, I'm very pictorial in nature. Mm-hmm. So it was quite easy reading this book to feel like I was really in the scene. So the, the author was really able to, paints a perfect picture for me that it was almost so real. I didn't feel it was a fictional uh, write-up piece of work. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, still on the topic of favorites, do you have uh, like any favorite writers? Are there like writers that you follow whose work you really enjoy? So in terms of writers, mm-hmm. most of what I read lately, which I, I could get off my head uh, almost immediately, development focused. So I'll talk of uh, Simon Sinek. I think I'm going to buy any book by Simon Sinek before I figure out what it's talking about. What do you like very much about him? He strikes me on conventional approach to how he sees life. Um, He's he's focused on uh, what drives our actions. So he really, I mean, his book about starting with why really helped me think about what motivates me what drives every single action. And, and I realized that by understanding your drivers and getting to the, those fine details about why you do every single thing that you do, it's easy for you to communicate. It's easy for you to relate with other people. So, you know, unconventional approach, the, the most recent one I read was uh, uh, The Infinite Game. Okay. And he really talks about, you know, goes outside of what you'd expect to see from a normal book talking about economics. And he really 
tries to prove and with a lot of evidence that the way businesses are run today with a focus on profits, with a focus on share price and all that kind of, and those metrics, of course, that, you know, we are interested on the Wall Street Journal, you know, those on Wall Street are always talking about is really not the way to go. And that what really makes a difference is it's about a vision. It's, it's really about having people who are playing an infinite game who are not focused on the finite metrics, but are really looking at things which, well, you just will never achieve them. So you always have something to work for and there is a better chance that you can build something which is more successful. So that's the most recent book of his, which I read just a couple of months back. And yeah, that's why I would say he's one of my best uh, uh, writers so far. Interesting. So you you like nonfiction, but your favorite work of literature is a fiction book. And uh, your favorite yeah. artist is Simon Sinek because of his unconventional approach to life. Yeah. So for writers, because well, when you talk of artists, it's really global. It's kind of a little bit generic. So for writers, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. When I, when I talk about artists, I was talking about yeah. writers. Yeah. Just, okay. Uh, great. Sorry, uh, that was not very clear. We're going to move a bit to talking about uh, some of the stories which uh, we have been reading throughout, at least in the past season of uh, Storytime with Pemsey. And uh, which of the stories so far has been your favorite? Well, all the stories, I must say, have been awesome. They've been interesting pieces, I would say, when, when, when you listen to them. And what really stood out, something very interesting, I was just pondering when I listened to the different podcasts you've, you've actually put out on, on your social media uh, pages so far. It's about looking at the background. I mean, you, you'd hear um, some of the writers were initially plumbers. Um, they were init- they, they did a whole lot of stuff. And I was looking at myself, so I was just reflecting. I mean, I've gone to school, I've had an advanced degree, and I'm like, could I even write something, a piece that's this outstanding? So that's my very first remark. To say they were all great um, pieces of, of, of writing, Mm-hmm. But what stood out to me was uh, The False Prophet by Mahmoud Fall. Yeah. The first comment about the fact that all of these people lead very colorful, very interesting lives. I, I also took note of that. I think it's also a reflection of the time in which they lived, right? Like many of them just didn't pursue education directly. They all maybe had to do other things to fund, to fund their education or to fund their lives. And in many ways, their lives were also informed by all of these different things that they did, right? Like the, the different yeah. odd jobs that they did. Some of them Absolutely. worked in the military or something. And you can see when you read the stories that their lives were very informed by, uh, or that this, the work was very informed by, you know, the, the, the very the richness and the depth of their lives. So, yeah, you said that you liked The False Prophet by Usman uh, Sembene. I think, you know, the broad sketches of the plot of the story is that we have this character, Mahmoud Fall, who you know, goes into this uh, place in North Africa and meets these people and he starts preaching to them and they're very impressed by his knowledge of the the Quran and he takes the money and then at the end of the story, he's robbed and so on and so forth. Uh, What did you think about the main character? What did you think about Mahmoud when you listened to the story? In a single sentence, I would would say some kind of a master deceptionist. Interesting. (laughs) I don't want to go too far to say some kind of illusionist, but I'll end with a deceptionist. Yeah. Okay. Does he does yeah. he remind you? Are there any people that you have met or any groups of people that you know that he reminds you of? Essentially, I would say um, 
three groups of people. Mm-hmm. And if I take a very literal way of looking at it, and I think you, you, you touched on these thoughts at the end in your podcast, it's our contemporary religious leaders. So that's a very shallow way of looking at it without much uh, analysis. The second group of people it, it, it made me think about was uh, political leaders. <laughs> and Interesting. Why political leaders though? Yeah. So here, when you look at the story of um, Mahmoud Fall, mm-hmm. it's someone who appears from nowhere yeah, he he assumes the position of a leader of a religious group. You'd expect that he should be more interested in maybe uh, bringing value for 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 the people he's leading. Uh, you'd expect him to to be engaged in uh, you know developing where he finds himself, but he rather does everything uh, because and and here is very personal because. Leadership to me is almost synonymous to service. So when a leader rather is served rather than serving, I find it a little bit difficult to to comprehend. And and, and that's really the posture, which I mean, the main actor in your story actually takes here, feeding off the people he's supposed to serve. Very soon, regarding himself as a superior, I mean, superior to everything that he even, if, if I recover well in the story, at some point, he talks about his body, not even that it couldn't get to hell or something. I, I don't remember exactly in what yeah. words. So mm-hmm. you see him almost uh, considering himself some kind of deity at that point. And um, when you think about it, when I think about how do African leaders um, actually respond, you see a lot of similarities in those kinds of behaviors. So that's that's why I, I talked about, uh, you know, uh, our leaders. Okay. and. The last group of people, mm-hmm. to me, is every single person, strangely. So it's you, it's myself, it's your listeners, uh, to me. Mm-hmm. Because I saw here, I have the feeling we are made up of fundamentally, you know, uh, two different kinds of personalities. All right. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and you did talk about this, uh, you know, towards the end. But my focus here is really like you've got two kinds of people. One who focuses on the bigger purpose of life and, you know, wants to, you know, serve and things like that. And the other person who really focuses more on society's dictates, okay? So you see this uh, in the story towards the end where you'd ask why, would you know, uh, Mahmoud go through learning the Quran. It feels like, yeah, he's fundamentally maybe a nice guy, Mm -hmm. but in the midst of difficulties towards the end when his money is stolen, it's like, okay, should I pray or should I go after the money? And what's interesting to me was when he asked himself or one of the voices telling him, oh, can you even pray without food in your stomach? So it's like, uh, you can pray when you're hungry, you can pray without wealth or how will you be perceived by you know the community? Because at some point he starts really considering, okay, he's lost everything. How will he be looked upon? So, that's why I said I, I could see every single human, including myself and him. We've, we've got those two personalities, one who is fundamentally good and, and one who is a little bit cunning or who is so conscious about, okay, what do people think? What does society dictate about me and so on? Interesting. So Mahmoud Far reminds you of religious leaders, of political leaders, and of basically every single individual. And uh, uh, the different, basically like, you know, 
what we do with both like the higher parts of ourselves and uh, the lower parts of our natures in some sense. What do you think about, you know, the people who supported him? Because obviously he went into this community and then there were people who were feeding yeah. him, who were listening to him and who in some sense fed into that self-image of himself as some superior being or some kind of deity. What about yeah. those people? What do you think about them? When I listened to this particularly, I had a feeling that, you know, it's it's pretty easy for us to say that, all right, the people never did their due diligence, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they should have seen him coming. They should have called him maybe to account, you know, as you mentioned towards the end. But one thing I want to see, one thing that struck me here is the guy is a very intentional fellow. And, and you see that in his actions. It's mm-hmm. It's not like an opportunity came and all right, he took advantage of the opportunity. I feel like this guy from the start really planned this thing because he starts by, you know, deploying some master planners, I would say, taking up the identity of someone that, you know, puts him as uh, a descendant of uh, maybe a superior or some religious personality. Mm-hmm. So you see here that from the start, he puts himself in that kind of posture that's going to command respect and, and maybe to some extent submission from, from the people or from that community where he's going to find himself. So uh, you, you also would not want to undermine his knowledge of the Quran and definitely how he leverages this to maybe because the people believe in it, mm-hmm. uh, to take advantage of that vulnerability and the fact that maybe they think they're serving some deity. You look at him, he starts by assuming um, the personality of a descendant of some deity, he gets to a community which is, well, at least from the story or from what we can tell, is fundamentally, should I say, religious to some extent. Mm-hmm. And that makes them to some, if I can say, vulnerable. And then he takes advantage of that. And you feel like he really saw this coming and, <laughs> and he really uh, prepared for it. So if I really want to uh, contextualize in today's society, even though you can say, yeah, knowledge and, and information have become more accessible to people, we are still plagued by, you know, an, a cross array of challenges. It's going to be different from the time. I'm not very sure when this story was written, but think about it, right? You've got people in a community. We are told they are naturally lazy from what the story says. And if I want to think about it, I mean, the evidence here is there are guys who erect their tents at night and they put it down in the morning. So mm-hmm. they want the life easy. And if I have to think about us today, you, you think of us as, all right, we all want to be high achieving. We all want to do stuff, but very few of us are willing to put in the energy that comes and that makes us really vulnerable. And, and that's why I started by saying it reminds me of, you know, two sets of people, especially in this case, you know, the religious leaders. Let's move on to the the final scene, right? Where yeah. in the final scene, he's he's sleeping and then you, you have a thief who comes and robs him and shaves off his head. I mean, one way you can look at it is like that there was some justice, right? Like that he had robbed these people and yeah. now he was being robbed at the end. What did you, did, you, did you think that that was justice? What did you think about that in the end? Did you think that that was a fitting end to the story? Or would you, were you satisfied with that ending? Well, for a short answer, I would say maybe. It sounds like justice, but I was really listening to it from trying to get a little bit, get out some more insights from, from the story. And this is something about, you know, the, the book I mentioned to you, 
dark secret nights and, and why I liked it. Because when I listen to this story, there is a lot of details. I'm going to give an example here. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned at the beginning, the nature of people in Senegal, where he goes, is described the nature of the person who actually robs him and, you know, shaves his beard in the final scene is described as, you know, a, a black or a dark person. Mm-hmm. And, and I started asking myself a question, why the author really took the pains to, to provide all those details? Because I started asking myself, well, is it necessary uh, to mention that the person was black or the community was that way? And, and interestingly, it, it opened up to, well, maybe another food group of people I should have thought about, um, mm-hmm. which maybe I will not want to dwell a lot about maybe the whole issue of, um, of, of, of colonialism and so on. But uh, think about it. We know from the story that the guy was a greedy fellow and he lost a lot of money. Uh, but in the end, something out of the blues, you know, appeared. And, and took central stage here and, and we, we, we talked about shaving his beard and, and shaving his head okay mm-hmm. so the question I started asking myself but why was that important because for me I would expect that okay we've been talking about the money his looks have not you know come up at any time in the story mm-hmm. so I, I started seeing it here like okay he's a religious figure and then I, I was like well maybe the the imams and and this was just some thoughts that were going through my head mm-hmm. i started realizing a lot of imams imams keep beard of course i don't know if it's something stipulated in the quran or in the muslim religion but if i have to liken it as a christian maybe to samson and so on you think about maybe at some point first of all losing his honor before the justice even coming somehow. So I don't know if, uh, I'm not very sure if the writer here by, you know, providing all those details about his hair and so much emphasis is put on the final scene about him lamenting over the loss of his hair and beard. If it represents maybe someone losing his honor, that comes even before the fall. So I would say that, yes, I think the story, you know, gives the impression that, the world we live in functions in some kind of negative feedback mechanism. So okay. we are always forces of nature always trying to pivot us in a direction where the world is stabilized. So where justice and equality or equity or equitability is always delivered irrespective of, of the situation. So those were the reflections that I had when I listened to the concluding aspects of, of the story. Interesting. I think that you, you're right in pointing out that this is kind of a humiliation that occurs there, even you know, outside the, yeah. the the stealing of his money and everything. But that the thief not only steals from him, but he humiliates him in the process, right? By shaving his sure. head. And that's not something that I particularly considered when I originally read it. But that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyways, before we conclude this episode of the podcast, are there any projects that you're working on at the moment that you would like from, uh, for the audience to know about? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I always see myself, I always describe myself as the SDG4 guy. All right. So because I'm, I'm, a, I'm definitely living evidence that access to education and opportunities can indeed transform lives. And mm-hmm. for, for a very long time, for almost nine years now, I've committed myself to that, you know, um, through co-founding model initiative of Africa, my volunteering work with um, organizations like Open Dreams and, you know, other organizations that are striving to 
you know, bring about access to education to, uh, you know, young people. I, I think it's, it's indeed a fundamental right. It's even enshrined in, um, you know, the uh, international, is it the universal declaration of human rights? So those are the things that I spend um, most of my time after work doing. But what's really taking my energy now, where my energy is focused, is elevate. Okay. And um, yeah, elevate is really just striving to ensure that we can smoothen uh, the transition and maybe why not in the future create pathways for young graduates into the professional world. So we really want to help you know young Africans uh, to become more employable, and that really came after a lot of years supporting students to get access to education. And I kept asking myself, okay, what do we do to these students after? It's important that they they have the skills, uh, which of some that some of the universities does not necessarily uh, provide to become employable or start something themselves. So, yeah, that's it. And with your permission, I I really just want to say that um, just give a shout out to the team at Elevate. It's a very small team of dedicated and committed people, Sabina, Steve, Daryl, and Patricia, who are doing an awesome job to deliver on the engagement we made regarding this program. Oh, okay. That's uh, fantastic work. Sounds like really fantastic work. And where can people find, uh, you know, you or how can people keep up with you or the work that you're doing? Do you have like a website or, or your social media handles? Personally, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a social media guy. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm pretty active though, uh, behind the screens most of the time. So I, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook. Yeah. So I think um, right now I spend more time on Instagram and Twitter. Not mm-hmm. very much of Facebook guy, but yeah, from time to time, I do go there what, to check what, out. What stuff. are your handles on, on, these, on these platforms? Oh, so on, on Instagram, it's Mika, um, spelled M-I-K-A-H, underscore mm-hmm. Edwin, right. D-W-I-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the same handle on Twitter. And on Facebook, it's just the name Mika Edwin. All right. So thank you very much, Edwin, for giving me some of your time this evening to talk about, you know, your reading habits and what you liked about different stories. And it was thanks very much, Bemsi. It was indeed a pleasure to be on your podcast. And uh, you know, I'm honored, very honored to be here. And I do enjoy the stories with Bemsi and I would really want to encourage everyone. If if we want to keep aside the quality of the stories and the contents that you present, I think the voice alone is enough reason for everyone to want to subscribe on it. So yeah, uh, kudos. Thank you very much and uh, talk to you later. Thank you very much too. Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. You can also post about it on social media or leave a rating and review on iTunes. To catch the latest about the podcast, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Storytime with Bemsi. That's one word. Thank you very much once again, and I'll see you next time.